Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. I'm Burke Allen, live in our studios in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being here. The show is sponsored by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Now, that means if you are a speaker, you go out and speak at the Qantas Club, the Rotary Club, to the biggest civic centers and arenas in the world, well, you can find those speaking opportunities at speakermatch.com. If you're a meeting planner and you need a speaker, you can also find hundreds of great speakers at speakermatch.com. And speaking of speakers, on this week's Big Time Talker podcast, we're going to talk to a professional speaker. His name is Nick Scott, and Nick is a veteran broadcaster with over 20 years on the air in Cincinnati, also in Charleston, West Virginia. He's a mobile music DJ, he's a musician himself, and he's the host of the Nick Scott Effect podcast. So we decided to do something really cool, and that is be a guest on one another's podcast. I find out about Nick, he finds out about me, and you're going to find out some really interesting stuff you probably didn't know on this week's Big Time Talker podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe online. New episodes drop every Tuesday at Apple iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your podcast. And my conversation with Nick Scott begins with me asking him, Nick, why is it that you host a podcast to begin with? I love the why uh, uh, with people, whether it's uh, somebody who works uh, as a trash collector or a gas station attendant all the way up to like a, a rock star. Not that that's the lowest, don't get me wrong, but all the way up to like a rock star, or the president of the United States. At some point, somewhere in everybody's lives, we yeah. have a moment where we thought, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to go into. And you have a long radio career and now a very successful artist uh, management amongst other things, company. So where did that start? Like, when did you have that moment? Like, this is what I want to do with my life. So I grew up in the small town of the coal fields in West Virginia, right? right. Logan, West Virginia, which, uh, you know, in the, the 40s and 50s was hopping. Yeah. They were, you know, coal car after coal car coming out of there. Um, now, not so much. And um, my mom worked for 30 years as the city of Logan police clerk which means okay. that I had a scanner in my room and I could hear her on the radio whenever something was going on there. And she had that deep Southern West Virginia accent. So, you know, for Logan City Police Department, it would be LCPD. So I can still, in my mind, hear my late mother saying, LCPD to Unit 2? <laughs> unit 2, we need a public service? Which meant they wanted her to call, you know, so that right. the people couldn't hear on the scanners what was happening because you're probably ordering lunch and asking the <laughs> officer to grab hot dogs from Morrison's drive-in. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So Morrison's drive-in nice yeah. plug in there. That's Thank you stuff. very much. The best. <laughs> yeah. Still the best. Still the best. Yeah. That's right. Mayhorn family. We love you. Um, so that was it. So that's part of it, right? Right. Um, and it is the three uh, legs to the stool. The second leg to the stool was that my parents were super musical. My dad played guitar. Uh, I still have this uh, 1961 Gibson acoustic that he played, and I gave it to my son because I have zero guitar oh, playing wow. ability. My son, on the other hand, is this great guitarist who's going to study it in college, and he makes that thing sing. I can hear my dad come out of that guitar. And my dad loved all of that honky-tonk, oh, yeah. 1950s, 60s, Hank Sr., Johnny Cash, all of that. Um, not to derail you, but, and not yeah. that it would ever leave your family, but being a guitarist and a gar guitar collector myself, a 1961 Gibson, I'm, I'm assuming it's a, uh, probably a hummingbird. It's a, is it, it is. an acoustic Yep, hummingbird? That is probably worth a pretty penny right now. Well, you know, it's got his uh, nicotine stained finger, uh, you know, on the pegs, the tuning pegs still, it's yeah. still there. Nice. And that, uh, that guitar just sounds so sweet. And he would play all of that stuff. Uh, which, by the way, there's a great story that was verified at his funeral that he actually spent a drunken weekend with Hank Williams Sr. when my dad was in the Navy and Hank was playing in Virginia Beach. Wow. Um, so he loved all that stuff. My mom, who worked for the police department, she loved all that classic 50s R&B. So, like, the record collection I grew up with was incredible. She was into Sam Cooke and the Flatters and the Drifters. So you put all that musical mix together. And it was really cool. But here's the third part. 
And this is the thing that, that my client and friends, uh, clients and friends tell me, I got to write the book one day. And this is something most people don't know. You're going to learn. I was raised by a mom and a dad who were both handicapped. They were both confined to wheelchairs. Oh, wow. And I'm an only child. And I had no idea that they were any different than anybody else until I went away to elementary school because they just did workarounds. Sure. They just figured it out. So all the, wow. and I look back on it now as a grown guy and it's, I'm amazed. All the cabinets were lowered in the house. They had like hand controls to grab things. They both drove. He was a watch and clock repairman because he could do that with his hands. Yeah. She worked for the city police department. So you put all three of those things together. That makes me sort of a, a patient guy because you can't get in a hurry when your parents are in wheelchairs. Makes me sort of nurturing and want to help people like I do my artist and my publicity clients and I get that musical background. So that's kind of where it all came from. I think. That is incredible. And the fact that you didn't know until you met other kids is awesome. Yeah, I had no idea because they made it so normal. You know, yeah. they never asked for anything. They just worked. They just wanted to be like everybody else. Sure. And today, in you know, 2023, that's not such a thing. But back when they were doing it, there was no Americans with Disabilities Act. There were no ramps on sidewalks. Like they used to go when I was a kid, Nick, they went to on their vacations. First of all, they went on vacation, right? <laughs> they would load up coolers and head to Daytona Beach, Florida. Why? Because back then, as now, you can drive out onto the beach. That's awesome. So that's where they went on vacation. So they did all of that stuff. And uh, when I get back back to Southern West Virginia, I, I'm no longer Burke Allen. I'm, oh, you're Patton Stan's kid. Yeah. Because they remember those two people who managed to figure that out. You know? So was your first uh, step into the industry radio as a radio talent? Yeah, well, so sort of. There are pictures of me. Uh, I try to keep them hidden because it's the early 70s. I'm wearing a, a plaid jumpsuit. Um, but there are pictures of me as a little kid, like before kindergarten, standing up in church with a microphone in front of me doing the announcements at like three and four. There you um, go. And so I was, was always the kid that was asked to do that. The other kids, you know, Logan's a big basketball town. They're out shooting the hoops and I'm standing on the side going, and there's little Scotty. He shoots, he scores. <laughs> um, you know, I had a Mr. Microphone, which was the thing oh, back in the yeah. 70s and 80s. Hey, I think, uh, I think I got my dad's hand-me-down, Mr. Microphone. See? When I came around the 80s. Yeah. That's right. You know, <laughs> hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. That was the, the famous line from the spot. Um, but yeah, so the my first and only job, other than delivering a few newspapers, and that was far too much work. I started at the radio station in Logan when I was 14 years old. I was in the ninth grade. Oh wow. Um, and you know, I I was in heaven. I couldn't believe they would pay me to do it. Because I would have paid them to let um, And, you know, you're a radio guy. Imagine being a high school kid down there when most other kids are, you know, if they're on a microphone, they're saying, you want fries for that? And, <laughs> and I'm in an air-conditioned studio. I'm playing rock and roll music on the radio, and I'm talking to high school girls on the phone. When you're 16, that's like heaven, right? That is heaven, yeah. You have, you, have, uh, you have completed the dream of every 16-year-old at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was all downhill <laughs> from there at that point. Yeah. <laughs> what is that, uh, W? Uh... Back then, it was the, the there were two radio stations in the town. And, you know, the town has shrunk now. But it, the first one was WLOG for Logan, which wow. is long gone. There's a little yeah. AM station. It was 1,000 watts in the daytime and 250 watts at night. So my dad would drive drive me to the radio station. With his hand controls, remember, he's in a wheelchair. He would get in the car, drive me there, drop me off, and he would have to stay within like a four-mile radius because the station was so weak. <laughs> he couldn't hear me otherwise, right? Um, and so, yeah, I worked there for a couple of years. And then the other station in town had an FM station, and that's WVOW, W-O-W. the wonderful voice of West Virginia. So we could... <laughs> I think they might hire you after hearing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no, no career in that. but. They did back in the day, Nick, uh, WVOW was uh, a block programming station. So they did, um, you know, a country music afternoon show. And then at six o'clock and, and, you know, in high school, I would have to come in at night. They did music for the dinner hour. Oh. 
And there were these albums of like the Raycon of Singers and Montavani. So no longer was I hip and cool at that point. Yeah. Then I was, uh, you know, the kid from Squaresville. Well, what's uh, funny is that when I was 20, so my first radio gig was at a, a country radio station. It was called The Rebel, yeah. which would not work in 2023 now. This was in 2002, 2003, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a country radio station between Cincinnati and Dayton in Middletown, Ohio. And the reason it was called The Rebel has nothing to do with politics or civil war or anything, was they played like only old school gold country instead of new hot top 40 country. Right, right, Which sure. back then, there that wasn't a thing. It was very rare to see a radio station kind of stay away from top 40 pop country and just stay with the golds and the classics. Um, so they were being rebellious to country music. But it had a rebel flag. In the uh, in the logo, looking back, it's like, what were we doing? But um, burn those photos, burn them now, burn them all, burn every. Well, I don't think I'm in any of them, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but um, but that but so uh, I worked there for a year, and I got offered a job on Warm ninety eight Cincinnati. Sure. So I went there for a year and a half, uh, met who I call my my radio father. His name's Ted Morrow, uh, and uh, it was like you said, you know, it was Phil Collins on the hour every hour. It was. Uh, Nice and soft Miami sound machine. and Absolutely. And Delilah in the evening, you know. And I remember being this 20, 21-year-old kid. I'm DJing, spinning records in all the, well, two of the big nightclubs in Cincinnati in the top 40 room, trying to be this hip, cool kid, trying to, you know, pick up ladies, whatever you do when you're 20, 21. And, it, and I work in radio. They're like, oh, you work in radio? What station you on? I'm like, warm 98. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I remember trying to sound hip and cool on the air, you know, introducing songs by train once an hour, but you know, uh, what's Brain great. Is, you could be on Q102 in Cincinnati instead. That's where I went next. See? So I went to Q102. Uh, it was funny. I've told this story in the podcast before, so I'll make it short and sweet. I was DJing at Metropolis nightclub, which is no longer around. And on Friday nights, it did Q102 night. It was like a promotion thing. The radio station did. And I'm DJing, and Grover Collins and Holly Morgan are there, and they're, at the time, air staff. And the night is wrapping up, and we're doing last call, and I go down to Grover to introduce myself. I'm like, hey, my name's Nick Scott. He goes, oh, you were the DJ. Now, he's a little, he's feeling pretty good at this point even, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, man, I wanted to say hi, but I was busy, you are busy, blah, blah. I said, I'm also on the air working radio. He's like, where? I said, Warm 98, and he looks me up and down like, what the we're gonna want he said you looking for a job and i said i'm always looking i guess now keep in mind it's 3 a.m at this point he goes i have to be in in the morning to finish some music logs i want your resume in my email when i come in and i'm like okay i went home that night and worked until probably 6 a.m updating my resume to get it to him and he called me that afternoon set up the interview monday i was hired and i went over to q102 I love it. And I yeah. love that you mentioned your mentor, Ted Morrow, who is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, after he left Cincinnati, he spent a lot of time on the air in Beckley. And, um, you know, where would any of us be in any of our careers without somebody looking out for us when oh, yeah. we're kids and, and helping be that great influence? Yeah, Gro uh, uh, Grover and Ted. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have two. Um, you know, there there were a few times in my Charleston radio experience where, you know, the bags were packed and I was out the door and I was just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm moving out, moving on. And they, they pulled me back off the cliff, gave me some, uh, some wise advice that I don't think I would be where I am today. Had I not listened to that advice. And, uh, I'm very fortunate to have both those guys in my life. See, that's higher end advice than I got when I was a kid in, in radio and in Southern West Virginia, you know, I sounded like every other young Logan County boy <laughs> like this. <laughs> and so their advice to me was, look, you're never going to be able to work anywhere except Eastern Kentucky and West Virginia unless you lose that. So I had, there was a guy who was a program director there who had moved to Logan from New York City. Oh, God. His, his name was Bill Sheridan. And he wanted to get out of the, the big city. And the news director had moved from Pittsburgh, Bob Weisner. And they would have me practice how to get rid of the Southern West Virginia from yeah. my voice. And uh, the, my very first commercial, it was three words. It's what's called a tag in the industry. And all I had to say was at participating Wendy's because they were at some cheeseburger special. And they said, okay, go in there and record this. And I said, at participating Wendy's? <laughs> and they said, no, 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 it's not. It's not windy outside. There's no air blowing here. You have to go. So I went home and practiced it over and over at night. Wendy's, Wendy's. Yeah. 
So that, that, that was my early advice. But yeah, how great is it to have people that mentor you as you come along? Well, what's funny is you went through that with that Logan draw. Yeah. When I came to West Virginia from Cincinnati, you know what I say, got? Well, you ain't from around here. You talk funny. You ain't from around here, are you? See? <laughs> All the time. But what I, was I, that I, like for you moving from, uh, you know, a, a fairly major metropolitan <laughs> area from Cincinnati to West Virginia? Now, granted, you lived in Charleston, still yeah. do. But, but that still must have been a little bit of a culture shock. It was a big culture shock. It, 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 that's a two-part answer. I'll try to make short and sweet. Um, first, the people of West Virginia, when I first moved here, was nothing like the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The stereotype. The stereotype. Um, Wonderful, uh, warm people. Best people on the planet. A hundred percent. You know, the minute I moved in, my neighbors were like, hey, this is where this is, where that is. Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? You know, and uh, I, folks that lived in my apartment building, I, I moved into Roxalana Hills, if you're familiar with that. Um, yep. And uh, next thing I know, like I'm going to football games and cookouts and everything, just with my little neighborhood within a matter of weeks of moving in. And within a matter of six weeks, I developed a friends group that I still have the majority of those to this day. How great um, is that? And, and within a year, I met my wife, who I'm going on 14 years of marriage with, you know. Um, so the people were awesome. Now, before I say the next thing, what I'm going to say is water in the bridge. There's been a lot of forgiveness, and we're all cool, and we're all friends now. But at that time, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid coming into this radio station with major market experience with three major market radio stations. And I think I scared some people that worked at the station I was coming into. And yeah. to, to say that I wasn't greeted with open arms is an understatement. Um, it, it wasn't a warm welcome. Um, and, uh, I remember within the first six months I called my dad, uh, was like, Hey man, can I get, can I stay in your spare bedroom? And, uh, I, I went and got a U-Haul lined up and I was just going to ghost peace out. And Ted Morrow, we were talking about Ted That's some of that advice I told you, he's like, brother, you know, the industry's small, don't do that. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad I stuck it out. Um, and, uh, now I say that negative piece to, to, Go back and, and flip it to the positive, which is, I think, the most important. You know, all of those guys, we became friends, uh, and I care about them. I care about them all individually. Uh, I love and respect all of them. And, and so that was just a, a moment in time. But my first inception into West Virginia, uh, the people were great. The job wasn't a great fit at the time, but became a good fit later, if that makes sense. So, yeah, you earn yeah. their respect. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that happens. And, and sometimes, look, I, I grew up there and I will be and continue to be West Virginia's biggest cheerleader. I love to, to sneak yep. out of, of where I am. I'm in Washington, D.C. and sneak mm -hmm. home. And it's been the same way whether I was in Las Vegas or Orlando or any of these other cities I lived in. Um, but there is something to uh, folks from West Virginia, as wonderful as they are, you, you kind of got to show them that you're equally wonderful. You belong. And yeah. there's a place for you there. Well, in your medal. In, well, I've said this in other podcasts, and I told the people this. You know, now I'm I'm very fortunate in a place where I do satellite radio. I do uh, some national radio. Actually, I got an announcement coming. You know what? I'm airing this next week, so the announcement will be out. Uh, just last week, I'm going to be a permanent uh, personality DJ on Flush the Format on the Kid Craddock Morning Show. So I'm going to be on. I'm going to be on 76 radio stations nationwide Fridays at uh, six Central, seven Eastern. Uh, so. Um, I tell you that to say, uh, you know, you go through trials and you go through tribulations, but if you persevere and you come out on the other end, I think it really opens a lot of doors for you, and it, you, you become better for it as a professional. I think you're right. What's your favorite thing about, about West Virginia? What do you love the most? Oh, man. Uh, Besides Morrison's hot dogs. It, honestly, and I know this is going to sound cliche, and I'm going to say this, and everyone listening is going to go, Ugh, and the eyes are going to roll in the back of the head. Yeah. The people, without question, the people. Uh, it, it, I don't know that there's a, 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 a even a close second, um, you know, from either the friends I've made, from the people who, uh, you know, my wife's family who took me in and treat me like family from the moment go, uh, from, uh, you know, my radio career from Nick Scott Entertainment, people book me to DJ parties from my podcast and all the other stuff I do, like the, the people. I would not be where I am doing what I'm doing without the people of West Virginia, no question. I've always said that the people in West Virginia will give you the shirt off their back, even if they can't afford the shirt. 
And that's yeah. absolutely true, right? Yeah. Um, I love that that we're all sort of equal there. You know, you know because you've had him on your show mm-hmm. that that my longtime uh, client and friend Landau Murphy and I both are from Logan. Yep. And Landau, you know, went on to win America's Got Talent, and he and I have traveled all over the world, literally the world together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still two Logan County boys, and we are always grateful for every opportunity because when you come from very little then every little thing you're appreciative. And I think West Virginians, by and large, very much appreciate things to a level that I don't necessarily see when I'm in New York or certainly here in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. where uh, there's a, the one thing that's constant here is there's always a steady stream of hot air. So I try to <laughs> get away from that as much as I can and come back to the mountains. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Appalachian Outpost. So right now, the big thing in Appalachia is trail riding. We have the Hatfield-McCoy trail system right here in West Virginia. And the Appalachian Outpost caters to trail riders. They have uh, dozens and dozens of cabins on site that feel just like home. I love staying in them. They have the Broken Axle Bar and Grill on site. So if you want to grab a drink with your friends when you come off the trail, grab some good food, you could do that as well. And everything you need is right there to bring your razor, your side-by-side, your, your rock-crawling Jeep, your four-wheeler, whatever the case may be that you're hitting the trails with. It's at the Appalachian Outpost. They have a trailhead to the Hatfield-McCoy trail system right there off-site. So your next off-road trail riding excursion starts at the AppalachianOutpost.com. That's AppalachianOutpost.com. Head there now. You can see how... Uh, all their amenities. You can even reserve your cabin rental uh, right there on their website at AppalachianOutpost.com. So we kind of have a linear path. Now, and tell me if I'm wrong. Were you the program director of Electric 102 WVSR here in Charleston? I was the uh, the operations manager of the cluster. I was music director first, the operations okay. manager. Okay. Um, and the program director was the late great, and people love him. Bill we all Shahan. miss him, Bill Shahan. God, what a great guy. So, yeah. What a great guy. Billy was uh, was our guy, and I was the operations yeah. manager. But I started there as, as the nighttime DJ in, at the end of 1989 and, wow. and uh, became the music director and afternoon guy. And, and eventually they bought another station. And by the way, it was another, are you ready for this? Easy listening station. <laughs> 94.5 FM was easy listening. Yeah. So I got to go back one time, one more time, and do my easy listening voice. And I, I named myself Alistair Bannister. Alistair Bannister on easy 94.5. <laughs> I love it. And I then I walked it. next door and played Nirvana and Tone Loke on Super 102. There it is. You know, that's something that, uh, and I have another question real quick, but that's something that, you know, I remember we talked a lot about during my time there was why they changed it from Super to Electric. And and I get the the marketing and the formatting and a, and a, uh, a corporation, a company bought it that has other uh, top 40 signals of that same name. Um, and they were trying to kind of keep things like kiss FM does with, with, yeah, you know, uh, and I get it, I got it. It makes sense. It works. But, you know, also you go back to that theory of legacy, um, you know, and you know, uh, I think super one Oh two, I still hear people in 2023 saying super one Oh two. Isn't that amazing? It was a great radio station. It was a moment in time. I was there from, uh, the end of 89 through the middle of 1994 before I moved to Savannah. New mornings down there, and and uh, I mean the the stories are, are legendary, and the the DJs were legendary, and yeah. only some of them can we repeat in, in you know, polite company. There you go, yeah. You know, uh, I got here in '06, so we missed each other a little bit, but I, I tell you, I do wish we could have worked together there. I think that would have been a lot of fun. But in 1994, I was in seventh grade, so I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> oh my hip! Oh, the food's too rich, Nick. Oh, I can't take it. You young kids yeah. these days. You know, radio, though, back back when you did it, and I wish I had experienced radio in the 80s and 90s. I, I got in in 2003 right at the tail end of what I call content radio, you right. know, where you could do phoners, you could do listener interviews, you could do bits and stunts and, and have fun. I mean, that's what we do is we create content. And by, by the time that I left, and, and I, it's still true to a lot of radio stations, and you probably know this, the DJs are just kind of an afterthought now. You know, uh, there, there's no content. There's no, there's no one going on the air, a personality going on the air. It's, it's that was, this is, here's the weather, here's the traffic, and it's just all music. 
And I, and that's sad to me because I think we're losing a lot of the talent, the good talent that's out there. No, you, look, you're exactly right. Um, and there was, during that time, those of us that were on the air at Super 102 were celebrities in that town. Yeah. You know, and, uh, we got great tables at restaurants and we got, you know, uh, movie premieres there and we uh, had, you know, sold out nightclub appearances. And uh, I mean, it was, uh, you're right, it was a moment in time, but radio was very different then. This was, of yeah. course, pre-Spotify and pre Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, satellite radio and all that when there were what we're choices. doing right here. <laughs> That's right. You know That's what right. I mean? So there was none of that. And, and, uh, back in those days, I mean, we, we would pack them out. You know, there were yeah. times when we did, uh, back in the original Stormwheel Regatta days, you know, 50,000 people on the boulevard. Easy. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I can tell you that, uh, an old friend of mine from before he ever got signed to his major label deal. Uh, was Billy Ray Cyrus. He was from Flatwoods, Kentucky. Yeah. And he and I had been friends for years and years. And when he did his first big concert in West Virginia after Achy Breaky Heart came out, it was at the Sternwheel Regatta. And he did his radio interview with me on Super 102 and oh, wow. on the big country station, WQBE. Yeah. And oh, they were angry. Oh, but, I bet know, they we were, were pissed. <laughs> we were they buddies were and they, uh, you know, Billy called me and and we went down to the regatta, and there were so many people there for us and Billy. They were rocking. They were pushing that bus. I thought his tour bus was going to tip over on it. Wow. That is incredible. How did you two know each other? So uh, when I went to Marshall, uh, Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, and worked at Hit 100 Key FM before I came to Charleston, Billy was a local nightclub entertainer. There was a bar called the Ragtime Lounge. It was a, a, a hole in the wall underneath the uh, the 16th Street Bridge in West Huntington, and we were the, about the same age, a couple of years older than me. So I would go down and hang out, and, and he was building up this thing. Because especially back then, you know, Billy was this buff, bodybuilder, good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. All the women went to see him. So when it came time for his, his very first ever radio interview, we did it on WKEE, and he brought his little 45 RPM record in, and he didn't have anything to give away, but his mom's cat had had kittens, so we gave away kittens on the air <laughs> from Billy Ray and the players, and we've just stayed friends all these years. Man, I, uh, if you still had that air check somewhere, how amazing would that be? It may be on a cassette somewhere, and uh, uh, and then I'd have to find a cassette player to play it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Key FM, that's another fantastic radio station. Another yeah. wonderful, wonderful West Virginia radio station. Um, man, there, I had a question, and I was like, hold on, and then it, it went away from me, and I, I can't remember what it was. That's going to drive me crazy. Oh, I know what it was. So my wife told me this story, and she'll probably listen to this and watch it back, and I'll probably tell it wrong. So, babe, I'm sorry. Here we but go. I, but she remembers. So my father-in-law, her dad, is a helicopter pilot. And okay. at that time, when Billy Ray played Regatta, uh, my father-in-law was flying for a private helicopter uh, company called, uh, I think it was Commercial Flight or something like that. Uh, but anyways, they were doing Regatta flights. So you could pay money to get in a helicopter and fly around regatta. Okay. And my father-in-law, my father-in-law took my wife, then she was probably, what What year you think that was, 94, 90, 93? Yeah, 93. 93, so my, my wife was 10, 11. Took her on all these flights, so my wife got to fly over Billy Ray Cyrus's concert in the helicopter, and she has nice. that memory of that that exact moment. And there were a million people there. Yeah, yeah. it was that was. Big times, and uh, yeah, Charleston was very, very good to me. Huntington was as well. I, you know, I because I started so young as a broadcaster. I bought my first house in Huntington when I was nineteen years old. Oh wow! Uh, you know, made it a duplex. I owned a nightclub in Huntington. Uh, you owned a nightclub? Off, yeah, I traded off my name, and I I did my top ten at ten countdown live from the club. Uh, what was it called? I, what was the name of it? Burke Allen's Three Floor Party Town. I love how you put a little stank on it, too. That's right. They had the neon sign in the window. The first floor, we had live bands. It was the 80s. Second floor was a video game arcade. And the oh, third yeah. floor, there was a DJ and a dance floor. So what? whatever happened to that just moved on to bigger, better things? Or? So when I moved to Charleston to work at Super 102, of course, there was nobody minding the store back there at Burke Allen's three-floor uh, three town. And so uh, the cash, it came missing. And it was just, it was tough. You know, that was it's only an hour apart, Huntington to Charleston, but tough yeah. to keep up with it. 
Sure, sure, sure. So where did you uh, make the jump from radio broadcaster to talent management? So uh, when I was in uh, Huntington and working at the radio station and I'd wrapped up at Marshall then, I managed a group, my very first group back then, and this was the late 80s, so it was a, uh, a hair band, heavy metals, lots of spandex, lots of Aquanet, all of that. And the band was called Tyrant. And they, uh, you know, very Bon Jovi looking. Uh, yeah. Worked with another 80s band from back then called Oni. And those guys uh, were, were sort of my first foray into management. And, you know, those members, some of them went on to, to do some other big things and moved to Hollywood and try to make it. And so I've always, I've always been so close to the music. That's what got me into Brock. Yeah, I always loved the music and spent a lot of time with the artist. And uh, and then when Landau won America's Got Talent, uh, you know, I got a, a phone call uh, and they said, hey, there's this guy from your hometown, from Logan, who's on America's Got Talent. And I said, oh, right, a country singer, right? And they said, oh, oh no, <laughs> you need to watch. And like everybody else, I sat down. And I'm like, "What? how can this be? How can this guy do that and be from Logan? He doesn't sing bluegrass. You know, he doesn't sing country. He's an African-American guy that does Sinatra. I was fascinated by that story. Sure. And, and then, and Nick, people, you know, sort of at these higher and higher levels, the Chamber of Commerce thing called. And, and basically the message was always, hey, if he continues to do well, it'd be great for Logan, be great for West Virginia. Can you help him? You're the only other guy in the entertainment business from Logan that we know. Can you help? And eventually, uh, Governor Tomlin, who was from Logan, from yeah. Chapmanville, uh, Sherry Stone in his office called and said, "Hey, can you can you help Landau out?" And sure enough, he won. And uh, you know, he won on a Wednesday night. He and I met on a Sunday night. And Monday morning, we were at nine o'clock in Columbia Records offices and been together wow. ever since. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I'm very, very grateful to Landau for the opportunity to spend all this time with him. Now, was he your first like real? I guess when you took off as Allen Media Strategies, was he kind of the the first one to? take the company off so on the music side he was the one that uh, that took off like a rocket ship because coming sure. off of america's got talent i mean it's just uh, amazing as a matter of fact when i went to new york city i thought we were going to be there three days i didn't get back home for three months um because they just sent us they wow. here to here to here i did like buy clothes and run through the walmart an hour before things and you know pick up underwear um yeah. but i started the company in 2000 with another west virginian another famous west virginian Homer Hickam. Oh, uh, yes. So Homer, who, you know, New York Times, number one best-selling author of Rocket Boys that mm -hmm. made into October Sky, and uh, he's written a whole bunch of other bestsellers, and so he and I have been together even longer. And Homer was just on my podcast. You arranged that, so thank you. I, I, my pleasure. I tell you, talk about a fascinating guy. And he told me he turns 80 this month. Which February is 19th is his 80th birthday, and that guy... He's, he's so like, sharp. Oh, he's incredibly mentally sharp and physically. Oh. He's in way better shape than I am. Um, <laughs> Probably me too. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you know, the guy, uh, you know, he, he has a home down in the Virgin Islands. He still goes snorkeling and scuba diving. And yeah. he was a, an underwater astronaut trainer for NASA. So yeah. that's how all that began. But what a, a wonderful uh, representative, like Landau, of the state of West Virginia, Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And I've gone all over the country with that guy, and and Homer will listen when people come up to him, and they do, and they'll tell him, you know, you changed my life, and I became an engineer because of you, or I went into the space business because of you. Wow. Uh, I mean, just amazing thing. Did you know, yeah. Nick, that, that that book, Rocket Boys, is now the most read book in public schools, more than To Kill a Mockingbird in in America? No, I did. I wish he would have mentioned that when we talked. He's humble, like he he never will. He says yeah. it's getting puffed up, right? Right. But uh, but he you know he's he's very humble about all that stuff. That book's been translated into twenty six languages. Wow! You know, kids in Vietnam had him come over and he did a reading for them because it's wow. in their school system. I mean, it's just it's a worldwide thing. His only regret, Homer Hickam's only regret, is that he is not actually Jake Gyllenhaal, and that tends to upset young ladies. <laughs> I think he does have his cell phone number though, so he could probably be bought off. Well, speaking of his cell phone, I, I was telling some friends a funny story. So the night I recorded with Homer, right. uh, I accidentally hit the wrong button on my recording software here, and it just shut everything down. As soon as I hit it, I went, no. Whoops. Yeah, so I text you, and I said, hey, man, 
Can you tell Homer just open his laptop back up and just reconnect? It'll finish his his stuff I need. And uh, you're like, yeah, no problem. So I'm sitting here and I'm like watching and I see it start to upload. I'm like, all right, sweet. And then next thing I know, my phone rings. And I look and on the screen, it says Homer Hickam's calling. I'm like, ah. what? what is this world I'm in right now? Like, hello? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, we, I, and Burke, Homer and I talked on the phone for another hour after that. Just shooting the crap. I mean, it couldn't be. An, he's a national treasure, really. He is a national treasure. And yeah. and I have been with him when literally, uh, you know, Vice President Pence would call him just to chat. Or, you know, really? that kind of thing. I remember once doing an event with him here at the Washington Convention Center. And Bill Nye, the science guy, is coming from the left and Homer's coming from the right. And Bill Nye just lights up. Homer Hickam, oh, my God, I've always wanted to meet you. <laughs> so for a certain segment of the world, I mean, he is a life-changing cat, and he deserves, like Landau, every accolade he gets. He's great. So he uh, he kind of gave me a little bit of an exclusive, which made me feel like, you know, a vindicated podcaster, yeah. um, that he is uh, doing the table read for what we know as the Colwood Way. He's, right. gonna, he's calling it December Sky, and he told me it's not a sequel or a prequel. He's calling it an equal because it yep. kind of takes place in the same parts and times uh, with right. his family. And uh, I believe it was this week or next week they're doing a table read. Uh, and he's hoping and his plan is to have it filmed, if everything goes right, in West Virginia. And he also said, you're going to act in it. Am I, is that right? Yeah. He had me. Uh, we did the table read with a whole bunch of Hollywood actors and New York actors. And he had me narrate the thing. It was a real honor. That um, is awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it's a great story. The Coldwood Way is a terrific story. Another yeah. New York Times bestseller. Um, and one of the, the few things about October Sky that he was disappointed in, because the movie is great. book is always better. The movie is great. Sure. Is that they couldn't film it in West Virginia. They filmed it in Tennessee. So he'd love to bring it back. Yeah, he explained that whole story because at the time, during uh, production and everything was going on, you know, they didn't have like a major airport like we do with Jaeger, and Jaeger's even expanding now. And at that time, we didn't have the internet to just send video files. They had to actually fly it to California and get the proofs and everything. So there was some logistical challenge back in those days in filming October Sky that we don't have now, which is a good thing. I've been to that town, though, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and it was actually in like a little town outside Oak Ridge, mm -hmm. uh, Petros. And and uh, I can see why uh, after filming each night, like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and the other kids would hang out at the Walmart to hit on the local girls. Because there's not a whole lot happening in Petros, Tennessee <laughs> on a Tuesday night, you know? So what do you got coming up now? I know you've got your hands in so many things. Uh, tell me some other stuff that you're involved with outside of even the artist management. Well, so the first thing I'll tell you, that, that um, the sappy as it sounds, I have a son who's a senior in high school, and we're doing college visits. Nice. And he's taking my father's guitar that he learned to play on and taking those lessons and uh, I think he's going to be a music performance guy uh, in college. Great. So we're doing college visits, which is a great thing for dad. Um, on the professional end, there's an up-and-coming emerging country artist from West Virginia, who I believe has been on your show too, Kate Boydtek. Yep. She has. Uh, and so Katie is on her way up. She just uh, uh, it was named an ambassador for the city of Charleston, uh, just sold out uh, a pair of shows in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and uh, has a sellout in Nashville at the listening room, which is a big deal. She, uh, so, so Kate is amazing. And she was on the podcast. I got a couple of quick stories. I want to tell you about Kate. And the first is if I can find it here, I'm on the fly. So the last Tuesday, almost a week ago from tonight, I was DJing for the West Virginia legislature. Some of the delegates right uh, at the, at the embassy suites. And I saw my phone light up, but you know what? I'm performing, whatever. My phone's not in front of my face. It's kind of off to the side, but I keep it close case emergency with kids and wife, you know, yep. um, but I saw a text and I put a song on and I looked and it was Kate. Now I haven't talked to Kate in probably three, four months to this point. And it just says, Hey buddy, had you on my mind and I hope you're well. Like, how cool is that? It just West super Virginia sweet, right there. You know? Um, and then we talked about, I'm doing a, a performance at the broken axle in Logan on March 4th. And I was like, you need to come. And the reason she needs to come, last March, 
the broken axle had me out. That's why we're doing it again this year. We did a big throwback party. So I was DJing like 80s, 90s, 2000s, you know, your Tupac's and your Big E and yep. Snoop Dogg and Usher and that type of stuff. <clears throat> well, these girls kept wanting to hear Strawberry Wine. Now, I'm doing this big throwback party. We're doing 80s rock, country, hip-hop, 90s rock, country, hip-hop. The whole place is packed and great dance floor, great crowd, you know, as for a DJ, as far as, you know, feedback and everything. But these girls, man, this huge group of girls that kept wanting to hear Strawberry Wine. I'm like, oh, I don't want to kill the vibe I got going on right now with <laughs> Strawberry Wine. Kill. So <clears throat> finally, I'm like, I'll do it. I put Strawberry Wine on, and it's a hit. All the ladies in the house are singing this to the top of their lungs. And all of a sudden, this blonde girl comes up to me, and she says, can I have the microphone and sing it? Now, Bert, keep in mind, 99.99999% That's of the time. That's a bad idea. That's a bad move. It's a hard no. And I think I even told her no, if memory comes correctly. And she's like, no, 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 I'm a singer. I'm a singer. I, I can sing it. And I was like, okay. So I thought to myself, I'm going to give this girl the microphone, and I can always just turn it off. And she'll be out there, ah, but nothing will come through the speakers. And she started to sing, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, was doing better than the record. Yeah. It was Kate. That was the first time I ever met her. And I, it, it, it was funny. I didn't even know it was her until months and months, months later when I think you scheduled the interview with her. And she was like, oh, by the way, Nick, you don't remember that? I'm like, that was you? <laughs> She's on the rocket ship on the way to the top. And uh, yeah. it's fun to be there with her. And, you know, people look at entertainers, whether it be Landau or Kate, or I also work with a group called Voices of Classic Soul that has guys from the temptations and the four tops and the platters and the drifters they've been at it for 50 years it's all very strategic in how you make all that work it doesn't just magically happen and uh kate and landau and homer and the voice of classic soul all of them work really hard and take very specific steps to get where they're going that's incredible absolutely incredible now do you and i don't know if i'm going off memory here maybe we talked about this so correct me if i'm wrong do you have a podcast or a show that you do yourself as well I do, and that's that's like my my fun place, right? Because yeah. I've been a, a broadcaster since I was a kid. We do the Big Time Talker podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday, and we talk to all sorts of interesting people, uh, entertainers, best-selling authors, subject matter experts. Yeah, yeah so that's uh, that's it's like putting on a, a, an old pair of tennis shoes for me because I've literally been doing this now, sad to say, almost 40 years. I, I don't think that's sad to say. That, that just shows tenure and experience. Yeah, well, I got I got a tenured spur in my back right now. <laughs> so, how did you start the podcast? Like, was it just recently? How long have you been doing it? Been doing it since 2010. Oh, so you're was, one of the first. Yeah, yeah, early, early podcast and something called Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, um, is where it all started. And um, yeah, you know, and I've talked to uh, it started off my friends Billy Ray Cyrus and Kathy Matea and. Uh, and then it's expanded out, and I've had some incredible conversations. Uh, and it got really, really serious during the pandemic when we couldn't go out and do things in person. You know, and uh, we connected the world. I remember doing a podcast during that time with uh, Arnel Panetta, the lead singer of Journey, from his home in Manila in the Philippines. So we can hey, bring can the you, whole world uh, together. Can you set that up, maybe? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Can I, you, it, can cut, you cut it out? It, we have a bat <laughs> signal. It, I, sorry, it can't. <laughs> I do want to tell you, uh, speaking of the pandemic, the podcast, that's how mine started. So, okay. um, you know, my, from 20, about late 2017 to 2020, my, you know, I, I, I chose not to go back into radio in the spoken form as far as personality. I had some offers, had some opportunities. I just, at that point, I needed a break. Um, but being a DJ and being a producer, that's in my blood, you know. And so I, that, that was really my only outlet. And I remember sitting here, I had some of this equipment from DJing a gig, and I was like, and like you said, we're stuck at home, nothing's going on. And I was like, man, I could do a podcast. And I had this genius idea. If you go back and look at, I think, the first 20 episodes that I did, or maybe first 25 episodes, they're all DJs. So I had this concept of just a DJ podcast of DJs talking about DJ stuff, and I quickly learned that no one gives a complete crap about DJs because I had no <laughs> one listen. And for your tens of <laughs> listeners, they just kind of, you know. Yeah. So uh, it, I, I shelved it for almost a year, and it was funny. I was doing uh, Regatta last year, and someone came up to me, and they said, whatever happened to your podcast? And I was like, oh, you're the one listener. 
Um, and uh, it got, that just stuck with me. And I was like, maybe I'll try it again. And then my listeners went from like 10 to 100 to 500 to 2,000. And now sometimes I get 10, 15,000 streams. I don't know how that's possible, but it is. Um, well, there's and, a lot and, of bad stuff yeah. out there in podcasting. And when there's good quality content, yeah. I think that the cream rises to the top. And your show must be one of them. Well, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more about the podcast, where we could find it, um, what what we can expect, maybe some guests you have coming up in the future. Yeah, so uh, so new episodes every Tuesday. So it comes out once a week, uh, and it's available at Spotify and Apple iTunes and all the places that you get uh, podcasts, even even iHeartMedia, the evil empire, carries yeah. the podcast. Uh, yeah. So you can get it uh, wherever you, you subscribe. And the Big Time Talker is just that. We have, uh, and by the way, that, that name comes from a guy from back in Logan, my hometown, who after I've worked in Las Vegas and Orlando, I was back home, and I think I was doing a little talk at the Kiwanis Club or the Lions Club, and the guy in the back of the room said, boy, you've just become a Big Time Talker now, ain't you? <laughs> Ooh, I got to remember that. So that's where the Big Time Talker <laughs> podcast name came from. Um, and, and, you know, it's stuff that I think is fun and interesting. And we talk to, uh, like I said, the best-selling authors. And uh, I love to do these retro episodes. I'm, I'm actually, in the next podcast, I tracked down the lead singer of the Sanford Townsend Band, who had a huge top 10 song back in the 70s called Smoke from a Distant Fire. So I love those retro yeah, one-hit wonder kind of things. And where are they now? And what are they doing now? And to track them down. Uh, the, the next week, I think it's uh, a shuttle astronaut, a female shuttle astronaut who's flown into orbit three times. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's a mishmash of, of interesting conversations. I learned stuff uh, and I'm entertained in every one of those talks. You know, one guest I've been trying to find, and I've been trying to find the, the, the right one because there's, there's so many out there that could be false, fake, or who knows, they're all fake or they're all real. But I'd love to find like a psychic medium. Yeah. That would be, I think, a cool conversation. But there's so many out there that could falsify that, you know, and just play it, make it up, you know. But I would love to find somebody who has, you know, like, uh, do you know who John Edwards is? Sure, absolutely. Um, man, I'd love to have him on. But, you know, he, he that'd be a big get. But something like that I think is pretty intriguing. Well, I'll uh, tell you, that, you know, Nick, when I was doing radio in Savannah, Georgia, I did the morning show down there, Savannah's a very sort of mystical place. Mm-hmm. you ever seen Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, you know that, there's all sorts of interesting things that happen under that moss and in the deep, deep south. So when I did the morning show there, I did a, a bit um, called The Great Burkola. And The Great Burkola could read the minds of his female listeners. So a lady would call and she would say, I'd like The Great Burkola to do a reading. And I would. And I would hold the card up to my head. And I would say, all right, ma'am, how old are you? How old are you? And she would tell me, oh, I'm 28. And I would say, I, I feel that. You have had difficulties in a relationship. And she would go, oh, my God, that's right. Go, wait, wait, there's more. There's more that's coming, ma'am. Sometimes you're uncomfortable with the way you look. Oh, unbelievable. So the great Burkola, he knew things. He knew things. <laughs> that's incredible. I thought so, well, and so did they. What uh, what do you think is probably your fondest memory working in radio? My fondest memory working in radio, um, when we got to do good stuff. When we would, uh, you know, do in, in Charleston, uh, we did a thing called Toy Mountain. And at Christmas time, uh, right out there by the Bigly Piggly Wiggly now, uh, we would build uh, just a mountain <laughs> of toys for kids every year. And I remember the motorcycle guys would come in with them. And we would have, you know, thousands of, of toys. When I was in Salt Lake City, the radio station was KISN that I was the program director. Kissin', Kissin' 97. Mm-hmm. And we started a charity there called Kissin' Cares for Kids. We did a, a 24-hour radiothon where the morning show stayed on the air and celebrities would all call in. And we did a quarter of a million dollars in 24 hours for children's charities. Wow. So it's the give back. And that's and that was what in- I think radio is missing these days. The give back and that was in 90s money, so that was a lot more. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the big thing is is being able to really serve that community to get in there and help. 
I tell you, one of the most impactful moments for me, we used to do a radiothon for the Children's Miracle Network. Sure. And this was probably 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. And we were broadcasting from the Charleston Town Center Mall, Center Court. And we had a family there whose uh, young one was, uh, I don't know, she could have been eight or nine. And she, her head was bald from therapy. And and uh, we had her on the air. And she always wanted to talk on the radio. So we I put the mic in front of her and we talked and everything. Fast forward about 10 years, I ran into that family at, uh, I think it was a Kroger, and found out the little girl passed. But the dad told me what an impact that had on her and how it's like all she talked about, she got to do radio and how like we gave her such an impact. And man, I went to my car and I cried for probably 45 minutes before I could, I couldn't even see to drive. I mean, it, it wrecked me, but in a good way. And those are the things that I kind of miss, you know, about radio. You know, when I tell people, um, we do a lot of media training and media coaching before people do TV interviews and radio interviews. We work with a whole bunch of high-profile celebrity clients, uh, and some of them are better at this than others. Landau, Kate, the ones I talked about, Homer, really good at it. When you are in the public eye, you're going to meet thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. And so they'll be just sort of another stop on, on your train of life. But for those people, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah. And always remember that and give them their moment and, and make it shine. doesn't matter if you're tired. doesn't matter if, if you don't feel well, if you've had an argument with the bank or with your significant other. Give them that moment um, because it, it will stick with them for the rest of their lives. Landau yeah, yeah, Eugene Murphy absolutely. Jr. is great at that. Homer Hickam is great at that. Absolutely. Dave Wojtek is great at that. On the flip side, do you have any regrets, maybe, from your radio days? Any regrets? Well, you know, there's a lot of fried food in southern West Virginia, <laughs> and it has caught up on me. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I would probably do a few less uh, hot dogs with coleslaw um, and maybe back down that. A few more salads instead. <laughs> That's good food there. <laughs> the only regret I have is, you know, about a year ago, I got I kind of reconnected my faith. And got back into church. I played guitar you. for Bible Center and everything. And I kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm not someone that's all out here trying to preach at folks or anything like that. It's not my speed. But I, I do think back to situations, scenarios of dumb twenty year old Nick, where I wish I could have handled things with a little bit more love and care. Now at forty, you know what I mean? Uh, that's all part of adulting. Living, you learn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Burke, I've had you for almost an hour, sir. I know you have a busy life. Uh, I know you're also using this on your podcast, right? I think, I think we that. should make you an official yeah. big-time talker. I would love to be an official big-time talker. So, yes, sir, <laughs> we, will, we will simulcast you right there on that very program. That's awesome. Well, do you have any questions for me since I'm your guest on Big Time Talker? Uh, wait, we're losing the signal. Get, get. All right, Nick. I Love to, but got to go. And that's my buddy Nick Scott, host of the Nick Scott Effect podcast, available wherever you download your podcast. Check him out. Nick's a good dude, and I sure enjoyed having him on the show. We drop new podcast episodes of The Big Time Talker every Tuesday at all your favorite podcast platforms. If you like it, be sure to subscribe today and tell a friend. Thank you for being here. Thank you to our show sponsor, Speaker Match. Com. I'm Burke Allen, live in Washington, D.C. Thank you for being here. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.